This week on episode 474 of Priority One, we trek out Alex Kurtzman's big feelings on short treks, where Strange New Worlds is heading, how you can get some free trek, and who wants to be part of the Star Trek franchise. In gaming news, Timelines launches Plateau of Tomorrow, and Star Trek Adventures proposes that it's good to be bad. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 474 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, August 18th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, August 21st at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And filling in for Tony and Skiffy are Anthony and Jake. Gentlemen, thank you for being a part of the show this evening and for filling in for our two slackers. Uh, glad to be here and uh, always happy to help a fellow slacker out. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Well, Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So... If you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There, we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you'll find us. Or email us. You can reach out to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, we do this show because... A, we like Star Trek. And B, because we love the sense of community that we have with you, our listeners. And right now, with so much going on, I think we can all be empathetic towards each other that Star Trek is a welcomed distraction from what's going on. So thank you for welcoming us into your lives each and every week. You know, I have a very special community question that I want to open the show with. During this COVID pandemic, how are you listening to Priority One? Are you listening to us on a bike ride, on your way to a respite whilst doing laundry? Let us know how your podcast listening has changed, especially when it comes to Star Trek consumption. I'm really curious to see how it's affected everybody and our listeners, and I really would like to make sure that everybody's doing all right. So let us know. Check in with us. We want to hear from you. And we'll be sure to include some of your replies in our feedback segment. Also, don't forget about sharing our show to all your friends. Hit that like, retweet, and or share button when you come across one of our posts, or perhaps you'd like to join the team. We're looking for new volunteers to join the production. Specifically, we're looking for audio and video editors. For more information, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com or email us. The address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's trek out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what place? I don't know. Then let's trek it out. As the idiom goes, good things come in small packages. Jewelry boxes, small. Puppies, small. But kitties are better. Priority one, small little corner of the Star Trek multiverse. Emmy-nominated Star Trek program? Small. Or, more precisely, short. This week, Star Trek Admiral Alex Kurtzman sat down with Deadline, senior editor and chief TV critic Dominic Patton to talk about the Emmy-nominated Short Treks, The Girl Who Made the Stars, and Q&A. In general, what Kurtzman likes about Short Treks is the series' ability to explore things that would otherwise go unseen in the Star Trek multiverse, sometimes using different mediums. 
In regards to the animated The Girl Who Made the Stars, Kurtzman wanted to take the opportunity to emulate another animated house, Pixar. Here's what he had to say. I just love the idea of getting to do a story like this in an animated format. I'm constantly amazed by what Pixar is able to do in five minutes and how they can just wring tears out of your eyes in the shortest period of time possible. It's like the shortest cry time in history. In talking about Q&A, Kurtzman pointed out his love of Waiting for Godot and Hitchcock's Rope and Lifeboat, citing the limited sets and how that challenge has the opportunity to ramp up the drama. He then told an interesting story about Picard season one showrunner Michael Chabon, the writer of Q&A. You know, Michael does this and it kind of blows me away, but we came up with this idea he said, all right, let me go do a thing. And he went that night, sat down and wrote it and handed the whole script to me the next morning. And we never changed a word of it. It was just, it was exactly what you saw. It was, I said, Michael, I don't have any notes. I mean, it's so great. Finally, Kurtzman talked about the challenges of making short treks as well as what's to come in future seasons. The thing that we definitely discovered is that these shows are as challenging as making the full shows. There's really no difference in terms of time commitment and energy spent. But I think there are just so many forms that these shorts can take. And, and because they're really an experimentation tool about what we can do on Star Trek, I've said, you know, I, I would love to do a musical. We've talked about doing them in black and white, but you have to do that for a reason. But I don't know, man, I would love to just keep experimenting and seeing how far we can push it. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the nomination because I think it's emboldened everybody to keep going. Okay, so I want to pause here for a second because he talks about Star Trek the musical. <laughs> yes, he did. And I want to hold on to something, something else he said. He said that, we, that they have to do it for a reason, right? And... I, I kind of feel like I want to call him out on that because there has been a lot that feels as though was produced and put on the screen just for the sake of doing it because we can and without any informed direction as to why or how it affects the plot or the character's journey. I, I find it interesting that he says that next to the idea of a Star Trek musical. I don't know. I, I just finished watching Fringe and doing a whole binge of that. And Alex Kurtzman is involved, uh, as well as Akiva Goldsman and uh, Roberto Orsi and, of course, J.J. Abrams, right? These were This was that team, right? I think it works well with something like Fringe, right? Would a musical episode, whether it's a short or a full episode of Star Trek, fit in the general mythos? I think we've already seen musicals in Star Trek. I mean, in Deep Space Nine, several of the characters sang in Vix. We've had other instances of, of, of music with instruments in Star Trek. I actually think a musical within Star Trek would work really well. You know, we've seen black and white Captain Proton. We've seen holodeck episodes, you know, of Bashir pretending to be James Bond. I think they could definitely pull it off. But, okay, if they stuck to doing it in a holodeck, then I think I would be a little more forgiving. But if it's like like that episode of Scrubs, I think about, and even even Fringe themselves, Fringe had a, had a musical episode. But I think back on those shows who, you know, wanted to appease, I don't know, whatever the pop culture phenomenon was of the time. I think it was, everybody was doing musicals because of Glee at the time. Everybody was doing their musical episodes because of Glee. But what about Buffy? They had that musical episode and it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, you're <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. I think people are like, hey, let's try and do that, which there was a reason behind it. But I don't know. Uh I'm kind of could go both ways on that. And Tony, you bring up episodes that took place in the holodeck. And also, a musical is not is not what those episodes were, right? A musical is a story that moves through music. Those episodes were musical in nature because, you know, there were a few little songs and people got to sing a little bit. But, you know, we're not talking about a full-on musical where somebody breaks into song like, God, I love between two guys you know like uh, scrubs anyone no i think that it might work better as a holodeck i would have sang that with you but my guy love is reserved for someone else oh i see that's okay that's okay jake what do you think musical episode in trek i think that in star trek it's actually easier 
than in a lot of other series to explain away because music is one of those universal languages. It's like a math. Like you could have a math episode, nobody would watch it. But if you had a musical episode, it, it's easier to explain. Maybe the alien that they meet only can converse through music, or maybe you know, there's just a lot of different ways that you can do it that makes sense within the universe. Oh, there you go. You gave it a reason for sure. It's like the you know the the Jalad at Tanagra episode. Um, they, you know, they only they only communicate in memes. I mean, I'm sorry, they only communicate in <laughs> metaphors. Um, and 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 yeah, you introduce an alien species like that because you nailed it right in the head, Jake. You know, music is math. After listening to this, I'm really starting to think that Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman think that they can do what they did with Fringe with Star Trek. And if they do it right, then it might be a little more forgiving, but. I don't, I don't know that you can redo that magic that was in Fringe and port it over to Star Trek. During Kurtzman's sit-down with Dominic Patton on Deadline's Contenders Television, The Nominees, the conversation shifted from the Short Trek Q&A to the highly anticipated Strange New Worlds. For those that don't remember, Strange New Worlds is the recently announced live-action series that will focus on Anson Mount's Captain Pike, Ethan Peck's Mr. Spock, and Rebecca Romaine's number one aboard the Enterprise pre-Kirk. The bad news is that Kurtzman didn't talk long about the upcoming series. But if we've learned anything from the previous segment, content doesn't necessarily have to be long to be good. Kurtzman minced no words when he gave a synopsis of the show, and may we just say... Squeeze! I think Strange New Worlds, under the guidance of Henry Myers and Akiva Goldsman, it's going to be a return, in a way, to TOS. We're going to do more standalone episodes. There will be emotional serialization. There will be two-parters. There will be larger plot arcs. But it really is back to the model of Alien of the Week, Planet of the Week, Challenge on the Ship of the Week, with these characters pre-Kirk's Enterprise. You see, this is where the musical episode may work best. If they are, in fact, going with Monster Planet of the Week, Similarly to Fringe, which was an and I bring I keep bringing up Fringe. I want to know explain why I didn't just rewatch Fringe because I happened to like it when it was on the air and I was watching it every week and setting my TiVo and all that jazz. I'm rewatching it because it's Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman and Roberto Orsi and J.J. Abrams' previous work together as a team. Sure, they had different showrunners. One of them who left. Uh, around season three or four and, and was taken over again by a different showrunner. But Fringe was their brainchild, right? And st this new era of Star Trek is now their brainchild as well. So I think if we want to get into the minds of Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman, we've got to go back to their previous work, right? And so my next thing on the list is to go through Lost, right? I gotta, I'm going to have to watch that. I'm not really excited about it, but I'm going to have to do it. Have you never seen Lost? You never watched it? No, I never got into it. It's so good. It's so <gasps> good, man. Yeah. So good until the last season. Yeah, it's so good until it's not so good. Right. That's what I keep hearing. I love, by the way, I no, look, the last season was great, and the last episode was fantastic. I understood what they were saying. It's It was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. It was, But it was so good. It was good. All I loved it. Every week, I was obsessed. When I think of musical episode, I don't think that would fit in Picard, right? I don't think that would fit in Discovery. But if we're doing a Planet of the Week episode, much like the original series and, and you know, the next generation, then, for instance, Jake's suggestion that, you know, they come across a, a musical planet. I mean, if you watch Men in Black and the, the third Men in Black, no, second Men in Black in the mail office, there's that beatboxing alien. Right, that's I fine. I, that may that may end up working, and the format of that show may end up giving space for that kind of uh, creativity exploration. I agree with you. I just wanted to say that because I know it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> oh, I agree with you on Fringe. First off, because I loved Fringe, I think it was a fantastic show. I agree that it's a good way to go back and, and relook at their at their previous work. JJ, not so much because I think he was only there for the pilot episode and then left. But I also completely agree that I don't think it would fit well in Picard. I don't think it would fit well in Discovery. I think it would have to be Strange New Worlds. And honestly, I think they're behind the eight ball. I don't know why there hasn't been a Star Trek musical episode before this. Like, if anything, they're they're late to the party, and it should be a no-brainer. Right, and just to clarify uh, what 
uh, Kurtzman was speaking about in that first story was short treks. And I think it works really well in short treks. Anything else about Strange New Worlds, Anthony? Well, Kurtzman then spoke to Pike and the crew's optimism and how Pike's trauma could open interesting storytelling doors for the series. How does a character who knows how he's going to die live optimistically from that point on and lead a ship? It's a great question. I've never seen a show where a character knew that already. And, so, and you have to have an inherent optimism in your worldview in order to say, I'm going to get up every morning knowing how it's going to end for me and still lead everybody to be the best version of themselves. If you haven't seen any so-called new Trek, that is to say any Star Trek launched on CBS All Access, and you're feeling a bit left out, then we may have some good news. As a for-your-consideration Emmy push, CBS has made its entire second season of Short Treks available absolutely free. Reported by CNET, whose parent company is Viacom CBS, the second season is free to view on CBS.com and YouTube and includes Q&A, The Trouble with Edward, Ask Not, Ephraim and Dot, The Girl Who Made the Stars, and Children of Mars. We'll link the YouTube videos to our show notes so you can give them a watch from the comfort of PriorityOnePodcast.com. But don't wait, you'll only have access to the episodes until August 31st. Now, I'm curious, is this also open to everyone else throughout the world? Because the premiere episode of Lower Decks was released on YouTube for everyone to watch. Oh, no, no, not everyone. At least not when they figured out that they forgot to turn it off for anyone outside of the United States. So there was a brief window of opportunity where our friends overseas were able to watch the episode and then it got taken down. I'm curious if our friends currently watching right now, if anybody's in the chat, uh, has been able to access this. What do you guys think? You think that we'll get uh, an Emmy nomination for any Trek this year? I thought Q&A was fantastic. Which one was Q&A again? With number one in, number one in Spock and stuck in the turbo lift. Oh, with Ansem out and... and yeah, Spock and yeah, number and one. Spock, yep. yeah. yeah. I highly doubt they would win any, like, creative awards, like dramatic you know, acting or directing. I just feel like they're a little, we're not quite there yet for Star Trek to win. I'm sure they'll get technical awards, but you know, it'd be a pleasant surprise. And I think that with the continuation of just new Trek every year, the chances of, of Star Trek winning a full on Emmy will only go up with the more shows that they release. I think that Short Treks actually has a better chance than most of the series to win something because they do have this opportunity to do something totally different with Star Trek and totally outside the box and something something super creative. If any of the series are going to win, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that it will be Short Treks. Well, that leads us to our next community question this week. What was your favorite season two Short Trek? Which was your least favorite? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question posts on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of which is managed by the incomparable Anthony Cox. That's me. Thank you, Anthony. That's me. Star Trek, in the United States particularly, is one of the founding fathers of nerd pop culture. Even if you haven't seen an episode of the original series, you probably know who Spock is or that Scotty will beam you up. In England, the same is likely true, but there is a franchise even older, even more popular, than Trek. Who knows what it is? <laughs> Doctor Who, of course. The series, which first aired in 1963, three years before Star Trek, follows the adventures of a rogue Time Lord, known as the Doctor and his companions. They travel through space and time using the TARDIS, a blue police box that was common in England in the mid-60s. So why are we talking about Doctor Who on a Star Trek podcast, then? Well, because the 10th Doctor, and one of the most popular, wants to go at Trek. In a Reddit AMA thread, David Tennant, who played the 10th Doctor from 2005 to 2010, was asked which franchise he would most like to cross off his bucket list. Tennant responded, saying, quote, Star Trek would be great. After talking to George Decay for the podcast, I've got a bit immersed in it. End quote. According to SciFi.com, the podcast Tennant was referring to was, David Tennant does a podcast with... Dot, dot, dot. There were several suggestions on who the former who should play but Trelane and Q both received quite a bit of buzz. Q would be apropos, as Sci-Fi points out. The Borg, which were introduced in the episode Q-Who, were based on Doctor Who's Cybermen. I could see a Doctor playing Q. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that that would work really well. However, 
there was in IDW comic series a Doctor Who crossover. Anthony, you're nodding your head about it. Did you read those? Uh, no, I'm not a Doctor Who fan whatsoever, but I know that they exist. I am big on Star Trek crossovers, though. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read the comic either, and, and I I have tried to watch Doctor Who before, and I just cannot get through it. I started. What? I, I've been told I have to start with Eccleston. And it just, I can't get through that mannequin episode. The first episode, yeah, it's not so good. But, I mean, it sets it up, so it's good for reference. I love Doctor Who. But I know enough about Doctor Who and, and the powers that Doctor Who has at their disposal. So I think that, yeah, Q would be just perfect. Especially David Tennant. I've seen him in other things. And I think he would play an excellent Q. And with that accent, oh man, that would just be just icing on the cake. I think he should play either Trelane or somebody from Trelane's, Trelane's species in a Strange New World episode where they retcon that Trelane is a Q. Remind me of the Trelane thing. So Trelane is uh, a character from the original series from the episode The Squire of Gothos. He has powers that are very similar to Q. Jake, what's the what time era is he pretending to be in? It's like the 16th century or something like that? 1600s? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh! I remember that episode. He toys with the the crew, and they Kirk realizes that his powers are coming from this mirror, and they end up destroying it. And then at the end of the episode, you discover that Trelane is actually a child of this omnipotent species, and the parents are arguing about how he's playing with his toys. Is the child um what's his face? Ron Howard's brother? No, 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 no. Trelane is a, is a, Trelane, the actor who played Trelane is actually the same actor who played. Core, I think. Is it Core? No, 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 not Core. It's uh, Koloth. Teacher guy says it's 18th century. 18th century. It's one of the teen centuries. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, th so there's a, um, a lot of Trekkies sort of connect Trelane and Q together. And even in um, the Q Continuum crossover comic that they, that, IDW just recently did. Trelane was one of the omnipotent beings of four or five that were part of this uh, game that they were all playing using the cruise. Did you get through that series? I could not get through it. I did. I got through it. I got through it. I couldn't get through it, man. It was just too... It got better. It got better, but, but not much. You don't have to finish it. You get the idea of what, of what happens. Well, that leads us to our next community question for this episode. If you could cast David Tennant in any role in Star Trek, who would it be? Don't forget, you can leave us a comment on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, or keep an eye out for when Anthony posts our community question on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trick out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. High score. Captains, I've lost track of how many weeks it's been since we covered Star Trek Online. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay that we've spent most of this year not covering a game who has not been able to step up to the plate. We are just weeks away from a very important date here in the United States. But the issue is not just here in the States. It's all around the world where some people think that others are of less value. And everyone should stand up against that. And, and if you're going to stand up, then it should be for equality, equitability, and justice. So we'll continue to wait patiently. And I'm sure many of you have left to get your Star Trek online news elsewhere. And you know what? I'm willing to accept that. This team is willing to accept that. Because supporting the idea of social justice, equality, and a more equitable future for everyone is something that we need to bring attention to. And as you know, we are a community-driven production. Nobody here gets paid for the work that they do. We don't earn tons of revenue to be able to offer contributions in any way, shape, or form. What we do, we do out of a passion for Star Trek. But I can, with full confidence, tell you 
that if we had the means, we would donate as much as we can to a movement like Black Lives Matter or the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And when other gaming companies step up to the plate, then there's no reason why others should remain silent. So, how many months in now we haven't covered Star Trek Online? You know what, that's okay. Hopefully, gaming companies like Modifius will continue to step up to the plate to raise funds for important causes. Until then, I miss you, Stowe. My personal thought on this whole thing, and I, I've seen people ask, why is Pri why does Priority One feel like it's necessary to make them say something? I can only speak for myself. I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth, but since I've been with the production, we've done things hand-in-hand -hand with Star Trek Online, and their silence reflects on us. And if we continue to cover that game, we would quietly or silently be saying that we are okay with what they're doing. We're just not. I've met several people, we've all met several of the game developers at Cryptic Studios. And so this is not a reflection on many of the devs that are there. This has to be coming from someplace else. Where? Who's to say? But we will wait and continue to wait patiently. Silence is acceptance, and we cannot accept the status quo of how things have been and, and change needs to happen. And we use our voices on this show to talk about the things that we love and, you know, the passion that we have for Star Trek and for Star Trek Online. And in times like these, we need to lend those voices to those who don't necessarily have the audience. And, um, and that's important. And, and, and companies that we believe in, that make money off of IPs that we believe in, that have been a moral compass in all of our lives since we first were introduced to Star Trek is, in, in my opinion, not acceptable for them to remain silent and to accept the status quo. I misspoke. I said that there's little that we can do as a podcast. Well, I mean, we are doing what we can, right? Right now, we are using this microphone to speak to you and hopefully move you to action. Um, on our website, which admittedly I kind of let go because we, we, we don't. We, a lot of the traffic comes from people who subscribe to our show, right? People go to our website to check the show notes and to, to watch a video that we may post. But when I was going through the website to update the crew page, I made sure to include a link to an Act Blue donation page for the movement for black lives. So if you happen to visit PriorityOnePodcast.com, there is a link to an Act Blue. All the money goes straight to the Movement for Black Lives. And if you are a brother or sister of Latino heritage, if you are a black or brown brother or sister or non-binary person, and you have an idea of how we can contribute in a different way or in a, another way, please feel free to reach out to us. Incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, you can easily find me. Not very many Elios out there, especially linked up to Star Trek. From Thursday, August 20th to Monday, August 24th, Star Trek Timelines plums the darkest depths of the 20th century with the Plateau of Tomorrow faction event for the Dominion, Terran, and Klingon Empires. The second part of the Capitoline Wolf story, this event features the new five-star Bridget Torres, five-star Alicia Travers, returning four-star Incognito Kirk, and recurring five-star humanoid figure event crew. Equally new is the five-star Anar Jamel faction reward, which will feature in the following week's Whistles and Canaries galaxy event. There are no villains who don't have their reasons, said Mr. Wells, and now there are eight fewer villains who don't have stats either. The latest release for Modifius Entertainment's Star Trek Adventures, Iconic Villains, turns eight of Trek's most celebrated baddies into fully playable non-player characters. The 15-page PDF-only document sells for $5.22 for your tabletop gaming needs, and that's US dollars, and the accompanying miniature set will set you back $52.34 US once Modifius has more of them to sell. However, one of the featured foes is none other than Q himself, which makes us wonder, what does God need with a stat block? <laughs> Anthony, did you, uh, did you pick up the Humble Bundle? I did. And contribute to the raising of funds for the NAACP Legal Defense I did. Fund? It's actually funny, you, through it's funny that you asked me that because I already own about everything in that bundle in a physical copy. It's, it's actually... 
right over there on my shelf. For those of you listening on the podcast, I'm pointing to my right and to my back. Uh, and um, uh, there were a handful of things in that bundle I didn't have, such as the DS9 crew, the Enterprise crew. Is the Enterprise crew in that one? No, I think that one was just released. But the DS9 crew and some of the standalone adventures that they had released in just PDF form, I also didn't have. Um, so I did pick them up. I bought, uh, you know, I, I, I donated more than the $15 and, and, um, and picked up um, uh, everything in that bundle. And uh, it, that, by the way, price-wise, I think it's over now. I think it just ended. But if you had the chance to pick it up, that is a really, really great deal for all of those books, even if it's just PDF form. Um, and it does, it did come with a 50% off coupon for the physical starter book. Um, which even if you don't plan on playing the game, like just reading those books are fantastic. I mean, they really deep dive into Star Trek and then they actually cre fill in some of the blanks and create their own stories and their own um, events that sort of explain other events in the Star Trek universe. And it's it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, the few times I've played the game, it's, uh, it's, it's just such a great experience. Well, Captains, we hope that you participated in the Humble Bundle. For just $15, you were able to get this massive collection from Star Trek Adventures and just so happened that uh, they were able to get something from Star Trek Online in but there was no promotion from Star Trek Online no announcement no support so that doesn't count sorry but what I'm most excited to talk about is that Lennon from Heroes Rise podcast on the Priority One podcast network of shows and sister shows is our game master and is putting together a team for Star Trek Adventures. So we'll see how that goes. We are eager to have a fun time with it and then be able to share it with you in some format. We'll see how it goes. Some of us have no experience. Some of us have a lot of experience before we publish it. We want to make sure that we have something theatrical that you can enjoy. So we'll, uh, we'll let you know and keep you in the loop. If you've been interested in developer Yes Gnome's Trexels 2 mobile game, but never got around to playing it, you have until the end of the month to get it in gear. On August 14th, Yes Gnome announced on Facebook that the time has come to part ways. Trexel 2 will no longer be available on the Google Play or Apple App Store as of September 1st, but it's not going away entirely. The game servers will still be maintained after that date until further notice. I thought that from a user experience perspective, I liked Trexels way better than I like Timelines or Fleet Commander. I think that the barrier to entry is, and the learning curve for Trexels was way less than those other two games. I, for the life of me, could not get into, cannot get into, and like consistently play Timelines or Fleet Command. I, I wish I could. I really wish, it's just, it's a lot of this just random tapping. But Trexels, you had a space experience, you had a ground experience, you know, it was a, a role-playing, a, a role-turn-based uh, type of combat when you were on the ground. I, and on top of that, it was it was kind of campy, right? It was these little Trexel pixel little things, which is also what drew me to it in the first place. I'm a Nintendo kid, Atari kid. Like, that's kind of what I grew up on. As And if I certainly did, then you guys did too. <laughs> so, what's that supposed hey. to mean? So, I loved it. You could, yeah, because you could assign the bridge officers to do the things yeah. and, you know, counselor Troy to go have counselor session. It was great. I liked it. It was fun. But yeah, then it got weird. Yeah, it got weird. And then it kind of, it just stopped. It, everything just kind of halted. They released the game and then like that was it. Nothing else. So, but but here's my question though. Do you think Trexels was a little bit ahead of its time? Like, do you think that the reason that Timelines and Fleet Command have garnered that much attention, is it because they were released, you know, around the same time the Discovery was in development? Like there was a lot of hype for Star Trek. Whereas Trexels was 2009, like post, it was in between JJ and Discovery. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. The other thing is, I think they that when they ch they changed the formula for Trexels two, I think that that was their biggest mistake. I think they should have just created new content for the first Trexels game because I, uh, for whatever reason, I just loved the format and 
the, uh, the the way the experience of the first Trexels went. And you're right, it was the barrier to entry was lower. It was a slower start. You didn't feel overwhelmed too fast. And then when they tried to change the formula, it I think that's why it failed is because they changed it too much. And people who played the original probably didn't want to invest more money in the second one. And then it, the second one was such a different experience that they just couldn't like get into it like me. Yeah, it wasn't. It was not. I liked building out the Enterprise. I liked building out the ship. That was the best part. It was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, put some stuff over here and put some things over here. Yeah, no, that was awesome. And then they just made it, like, too clicky and and weird combat. And I remember Trexels being more linear than Fleet Commander timelines. Where Fleet Commander timelines, you, you kind of, you go in and... You can kind of, you can almost do things out of order, right? Like there's no linear direction as to how to progress. There comes a point in in timelines and fleet command very early on where the tutorial kind of stops and you're on your own. Whereas Trexels did have this kind of linear progression tutorial that then failed in Trexels 2. And I want to say, I, I, I don't quote me on this. And listeners, if you're, you know, feel free to write feedback on this. I think that Trexels 2 was by a different developer. I think they it changed hands or Yes Gnome got bought out or something like that. Something happened because it was delightful before it changed. And the, you know, the, the scope, the scope of Trexels seemed to be smaller compared to those other two games, um, which is kind of, which it's funny because that's my biggest problem with Starfleet Command is that it's too big of a game on too small of a screen. And and um, and timelines, I feel like is is fine. It's just it's a collection game, and it's repetitive, and it's there's really no depth to it. And it's kind of fun to like you know collect and and, and get all the different characters from the different moments in Star Trek. That's kind of fun. But it but Trexels felt like a, a fun game that was appropriate for your phone. It, you know, 10, 20 minutes a day, and you could do stuff, or you could play longer if you wanted, but it, it didn't, you didn't feel like you had to grind, and you didn't feel like you had to do daily stuff, and like, you didn't feel like, you know, you had to put work into it. It felt a little bit more whimsical and yeah. a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah, it was. And then when you went to combat, you you know, it told you what levels you needed, whatever skills, you know, and then you you went to an area, you did all the missions in that area, and then you moved on. And then they gave you more areas, then it changed. Sad. You know what I think Trexels would lend itself well to? An, a lower deck sand adaptation. Oh, you know what they should do is, uh, you, there was that, um, uh, there was that Family Guy game. It's still, it's still there. There's a Family Guy game that you, um, that you like build out Quahog or something, but they had a whole Star Trek event where you could get oh, Star Trek stuff. Yes. Can you imagine a game oh, like awesome. that, but Lower Decks themed? Whoa, that'd be great. I'd pay $60 for that. I'd buy that for a dollar. That's all we have to cover this week in Star Trek gaming. Now let's look on screen for the second episode of Lower Decks. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1 Episode 2, Envoys, on screen. Is that an omnipotent, dangerous, malevolent alien? Maybe in another dimension. Boimler gets a prime assignment, escorting Klingon General Karin to Talgano 4 for the peace accords. On the way to meet the Klingon warrior, Boimler is joined by Mariner, who fights hard and drinks harder with the warrior. After landing on Talgano 4 in a Klingon district, Corinne absconds with the shuttle and the odd couple set out to find the inebriated Klingon. Back on the Cerritos, Rutherford offers to change careers so that he can science the science with Tendi. Turns out the only thing worse than his bedside manner is his ability to take care of the children. All the children. Back on Talgano, Boimler's Morty the situation while Mariner ricks their way out of all the trouble he gets them in. Boimler throws a Jerry-level tantrum, quitting Starfleet until Mariner calls in a favor from an old Ferengi friend. Boimler stays in, the Klingon makes it to the peace accord, Rutherford returns to engineering, and Tendi watches the science on the tech. I really wish I could do the burp, I just... Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Don't do the burp. Jerry (laughs) level tantrum. That was amazing. Brilliant. I love it. 
Oh, jeez. Well done, Jake. I understood Thanks, nothing Jake. from this. That's I got that it. Is it okay. was a fantastic, okay. amazing. Oh, team Rick. All right. This episode was directed by Kim Arndt and Juno John Lee. Writer for this episode was Chris Kula. And it aired on Thursday, August 13th here in the United States. All right. Why don't we jump in? Kat, why don't you tell us uh, some of your favorite scenes or moments from the episode? Uh, some of my favorite scenes and moments were Rutherford's tests when he's deciding to change careers because Rutherford is so awesome. What was it about those those moments that... I mean, you know he just loves to be an engineer, and I love his command training with the asteroid. (laughs) The guy's like, literally, no one has done this. (laughs) Like, all you had to do is move out of the way. I know, dead babies are so so crazy. And it's like, pre-K, oh, the kindergarten. Wait, let's redo this. God, they were amazing. 105% casualties. Wait, how can you kill more people than are on the ship? So good. Anyway, yeah, that was my favorite. All right, what about your least favorite scene or moment? I'm so irritated with Boimler. So his Andorian fiasco in the bar uh, just so irritated me. But what, so what is it about Boimler that's it's annoying you thus far? Come on, Boimler. <laughs> ah, quit it. I mean, he's just so quit it. He's can't see, be, he I can't mean, see past his own uniform. I know, he's got to be smarter than that. Like, really? Come on, dude. All right. And uh, what about, what, what did you take away from the episode? I hope that next week's episode develops Mariner a little bit more because at this point she's just like superstar can do nothing wrong I just think she needs a little more depth and she's just very in your face frantic like I can't she needs to calm down so (laughs) I know girls like her they drive me I can't deal with them (laughs) just too much you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I think that it's hard not to compare the show with Rick and Morty, right? First of all, the art is very similar and it's coming from one of the same writers, right? And it's interesting you bring that up because I think that one of the most appealing aspects of Rick Sanchez's character is exactly how flawed he is and how that gets thrown in his face from time to time, right? He considers himself to be this god among men Dr. Bishop, so to speak. And every so often, he gets knocked on his ass. And every so often, he has to take a moment to reflect inside. You know, I want to say that that happens pretty soon into the Rick and Morty adventures, right? So hopefully we will get to see that with Mariner. That she's not just this, like, super cool character that, like you said, can do no wrong. Right, I mean, and she alludes to, like, some of the experiences that she had with the sentient cave or whatever. Her When she woke up on the shuttle to her fantastic dream, it seemed like she was just overstating things. So I hope that that changes because it's really irritating right now. I think she also showed her humanity in the end of the episode, and I I didn't necessarily love it. It was kind of, like, telegraphed. It was pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. But she showed how she's willing to take one on the chin for her friends. True. True. Yeah. So, Jake, what did did you think? What was your favorite scene or moment? So, I'm a juvenile, and I I liked the fact that the Klingon pooped on his batleth. I thought that was hilarious. I lost it. I lost it like a child. I could not stop laughing. This show knows its audience. <laughs> or, or, you're right. or when uh, Boimler's walking away and he's doing that power walk and he's like, Section 31 does it. <laughs> like those, little, those little comments, I just lo- I lose it. I think it's hilarious. And actually, one of my favorite lines was in one of my least favorite scenes was when he was, the Ferengi, he was, he was, he was even doing the hand thing. <laughs> it's, so oh my. It's, so, it's so funny. But I hated that scene because it was like, I know. Right, it was, man, like, yeah. It was a lot. That's funny. That's my... When Elijah asked me, that's my favorite scene. Is it really? Yeah. When who asks you? Uh, when when Elio went. Sorry, I knew I was going to slip up at one point. Uh, when Elio asked me, uh, that's actually my favorite scene. And what about your least favorite, Jake? I think it was that scene. I think it was the scene in the bar where he's kind of mocking her and, oh no, it's between us. And it just, it's just like, dude, you were a dink the whole episode. And now you're like, come on, put it away. You know what I mean? Like, what a jerk. Any overall themes? Any general takeaways? I think this show is going to be about friendship. And I think it's because Rutherford was going to give up 
what he loved for his friend Tendi. Mariner gave up her pride for her friend Boimler. It's like one of those things where it's just a, you know what we give up for our friends. I'll go so we can sandwich this, right? Anthony, I presume that you have nothing but glowing remarks about this, right? <laughs> um, That's what I'm leaning on because I purposely asked in this order because I want to rip into it so that you can lift it up to the flurriness that I guarantee you, no matter how much I dislike the episode, it'll still, I will still (laughs) like it more than you. So you were correct. (laughs) So I did my best to take Tony's advice last week and approach this as if though I was indulging in a bag of jelly beans. (laughs) I need to stop hoping for better Star Trek. I really do. I need to just stop because this episode specifically, first thing that popped into my head was the TV series Superstore. I mean, almost character by character. If you've ever watched the America Ferrera show Superstore, it takes place in a you know big box Walmart-ish kind of place. And I gave retail seven years of my life. And that's why I watched the show because I can empathize with the cringy moments. And I go to that show for that reason. I'm still hoping for a little more depth in Lower Decks. You know, for instance, Kat, you brought up a really good point. Right now, Mariner is this flawless character with nothing holding her back, nothing bringing her down. She is the wisest of everyone, even though she may even possibly be the youngest, right? I think there's room to explore and get deep with these characters, and I'm really hoping that we'll see that as the season progresses. But if I had to pick a favorite scene, I have to say is when they get to the cantina with all the Andorians and the shapeshifter turns into the one from the animated series. I got excited about it because I was like, oh, we just <laughs> talked about that episode. We just talked about that episode in After Hours. We talked about the the Vendorian or whatever it was called, right? And so there are moments in the show where there are general jokes about Star Trek, right? Making fun of itself that virtually anyone could understand. Much like I think that if a show like this was made in the Doctor Who franchise, I may still be able to pick up some of the humor, some of the the jokes that that are being made at the expense of the franchise. But in those more obscure Easter eggs, like that's just like three frames... You see the the Vendorian. I'm like, oh my god, that's from the animated series. That's that's great. That's awesome. You know, like that's that's cool. It has these moments, and it, you know, at the end, that conversation that she has with, the, with her Ferengi friend, I thought that was cute too, because in TNG, when we're first introduced to the Ferengi, it's very much the human. I'm going. My fingers are together, and ha 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 ha. And in Deep Space Nine, and in subsequent series we get more depth to the Ferengi, right? And that's what we see at the end of the conversation between Mariner and and her friend. The episode has has these moments. They have these one-liners that are really, that, that kind of make me go, <laughs> you know, I'll get that chuckle that comes out. But regardless, I'm still hoping for some depth. I really would like to see some depth. So it sounds like you don't, you didn't like the poop line. No, no, I, I, no. Listen, look. I've had, I've had the. I've never met anybody, myself included, who has gotten so blackout drunk that they poop themselves. I don't know anybody who does that. And I've got some stories for you. It's because you don't drink like a Klingon. Look, I right. met people that have done that. Yeah, you, I, you, you don't know too no. many firemen. I'm like, yeah, you maybe not. You don't know the music industry. <laughs> right. I, I guess I thought theater folk were, were oh, crazy no. enough. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. But, I oh, learned that I when for- I went from theater to film. <laughs> I forgot to say, though, one of my favorite lines, which was Boimler, where he was talking to Mariner after she talks to the, you know, ambassador guy or the whatever his name is. And he's like, wait, you guys know each other? And she's like, yeah, we did black gray op stuff back in the day. He's like, back in what day? We're the same age. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> that was really funny to me. Yeah, it's these little moments, these little one-liner moments that, you know, hit and hit well. Oh, and the captain, when she's talking to her officer, and she's like, what do you think we're going to do when we warp out? We're going to say, what would she say? Warp it. Warp. <laughs> it's warp time. It's warp, warp time. time. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Bring me my drinking horn. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, that it's was so, so funny. I like the captain. 
that last moment between the the person at the embassy and Corinne <laughs> was funny. I laughed <laughs> because you know that there's somebody who has had to deal with this stuff from Klingons in their drunken stupor. Right. You know, so this is where the the show shines, right? It's clearly a love letter to Star Trek with the flexibility and the legal authority to be able to outright make fun of itself. Whereas other shows have to beat around the bush and be like, oh yeah, that reminds me of the Star Trek joke, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm, I just, I desperately want depth. I want to walk away going, wow, that was deep. I don't think I need that with this, but I'm sorry, I'm stepping on Anthony's toes. Anthony, what do you think about the show? Well, my favorite moment in the show is actually when the Ferengi shows up because uh, that callback to early TNG Ferengis that are so different from what they evolved into, I thought was really funny. And then to see how that trope then evolved into Mariner, and I, I saw that a mile away, that this was a setup and that this was, you know, she she set this up to make Boimler feel better. I, I really liked how it evolved into that moment and how then the Ferengi with a monocle, by the way, and if I can't have monocles on my Ferengis in a certain game, I'm going to uninstall it because that just needs to happen. Yeah, agreed. And he's this much more like, you know, he's not that typical season one TNG Ferengi. So it's, it's, this, it's this really multi-layered joke that you would only get if you watch those early seasons of TNG and then Deep Space Nine. And so that's, as you said, Elio, the the love letter to Star Trek that this show really is. So I really enjoyed that moment. I actually thought it was great. And even the follow-up scene when he's sort of sticking it to her in the bar, I mean, I knew that was going to happen too. As soon as he said that, he wasn't going to do it. I knew he was going to do it. And some of that that telegraphing that you mentioned and that sort of, that, that kind of leads me to the thing that I didn't like about this episode or the moment I didn't like about this episode and kind of what I don't like about the show is that my least favorite scene is the one where Corinne enters the shuttle and then Mariner fights him and you find out that they know each other. And I'm like, it's such a common cliche now, right? Because like Jadzia Dax spent time with Klingons as Curzon and so she, you know, she's the fierce female warrior that goes off on the the Klingon thing or, you know, Mariner did Grey Ops back in the day. It's like, I like... That type of, like, I didn't find, there's nothing interesting about that to me. Like, it's been done, like, that's okay, whatever. And I think that that's trope of, like, you know, a character, like, two characters meeting a character and one of them then knowing each other really well. And especially with Klingons, right? I mean, like, how many times have we seen characters that were friends with Klingons in the past and, like, somebody didn't know it? I feel like that happens, like, like Cisco knows about Klingon tradition, you know, more, like, and that just, like, spontaneously comes up when he tries to keep Worf on Deep Space Nine. Like, all of a sudden, he knows about Klingon rituals, and he, he uses it to his advantage and stuff like that, like... Yeah, like, wouldn't you thought Mariner would have brought it up at the time when she was cutting Boimler's leg open with the Batleth that she'd work gray ops with some Klingons? <laughs> but maybe that's the joke, because it's such a cliché. So maybe that's the joke. That's fine. I just, for me, that stuff doesn't work. And I find that the more that they do those types of jokes in a straight fashion, it doesn't work as well. Like, for instance, when when Rutherford takes the command test, that is an absurd, like, exaggerated version of that test, right? And even though that's a cliche moment where it's like, oh, like, what am I supposed to do? And it, like, doesn't work out, you know, because we're comparing that moment to the Kobayashi Maru and, like, all this stuff. That's where the show shines when it is more absurd. And then when it does these, like, when it does that kind of trope with, you know, knowing the Klingon from the past, that doesn't quite work for me. But the overall theme, takeaway theme, the thematic themes that I got from, from the show is that this show, it seems to me, it's about experience versus knowledge, right? It's about... Mariner's experience versus Boimler's knowledge. And I feel like this episode continued establishing Mariner and Boimler's relationship. And it also is setting up more Tendi and Rutherford's relationship. And it's a lot more set up. And I almost feel like this was the pilot part two. I didn't feel like this was its own fully formed episode. I feel like this was, I feel like this episode and the first episode could have been combined into a better one hour pilot episode 
And it's not a, yeah, it's not a bad concept. Yeah, I feel like there was just a lot of the same stuff. In a pilot episode, you need to establish several things. You need to establish the setting of the story, the tone of the story. You need character introductions, uh, relationships between characters. You need to introduce those. And you need to establish potential conflict. And the first episode, I thought, did a really great job of setting those things up. So, like, I would have given that first episode like a 4.5 out of 5 as based on pilot episodes of Star Trek that's where I would land the first one I thought it established all those things really well this episode just kind of did that again and not quite as well as the first episode don't get me wrong I enjoy the jokes and I enjoy the deep cuts of references and I, I'll continue to watch this episode over and over again whenever I rewatch the show it just didn't feel as good as the first episode and I'm hoping that it does get a little deeper like I I they introduced the, the relationship between Mariner and the captain and then that like nothing happened I felt like that was going to be an important part of the show and nothing has happened since then and I think as far as the characters go I Mariner does get on my nerves a little bit but I think I think she needs to in the early episodes so that when there is a change or when she does falter it's a bigger deal and it's more dramatic. And I'm hoping that that's what's going to happen or where they're going with this. But we'll see. I mean, I still love the show. And I, you know, it's Star Trek. I'm going to love it because it's Star Trek. It's just, I I love it more or less than other Star Trek. And right now I'm really enjoying it. It's something that, that isn't as, as serious. My wife really likes watching it with me because it's a, a lot lighter and not as, like, dramatic and and action-packed as, as uh, Discovery is. So I think it has its place, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. Well, Captains, that's it for On Screen this week, but we want to hear from you. We want to know what your thoughts were on Episode 2 of Lower Decks, titled Envoys. And if you are still unable to watch it because you're overseas, then I think you should make a bigger stink about it on social media. Feel free to tag Priority 1 if you'd like. Now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captain's hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, our community question was, would you rather see a fourth Star Trek Kelvin film, Noah Hawley's Pandemic Pitch, or a 2021 version of A Piece of the Action from Quentin Tarantino? From Twitter, Ken from Chicago writes, anything from the Fargo Legion guy, please. His sci-fi twist in season two of Fargo was great. Also from Twitter, Jason Smith, the man responsible for our awesome Lower Deck style graphic tonight, responded, Would like to see another Kelvin film, but at the same time, it would feel weird to have another Kelvin film without Anton Yelchin. He played Pavel Chekhov really well. If they do make another, I hope they will take a moment to honor him. Agreed, Jason Smith. From Facebook, Lance Schoenberg writes, Can I pass on all of these? No, you have to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> there can be only one. Jamal writes in on Facebook, I want to see a Kelvin timeline where it reaches its end and breaks down. I do not want a pandemic Trek film, and I absolutely do not want a 2020s version of a piece of the action. Give us something new. I would love a prime anthology film. Get get everyone from DS9, TNG, and Voyager involved. Make up some unknown thing where they all converge to figure out what it is and if it's a threat or a new opportunity for exploration. Too big for one crew to handle, but before Hobus. End it with the Cerritos coming in to play cleanup. Make it epic and fun. Star Trek Avengers. That's right, Jamal. You're right on the money there. That's what it needs to be. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself, even though I have several times. Again from Facebook, Philip Stasowitz says, Kelvin for me, I enjoy JJ Trek, and I say bring all the phasers and disruptors you can. And finally, AJ Biega responded to our Facebook post with a string of hilarious memes. Please do yourself a favor and track those out. Did you guys see that? The whole list of... Yes, thank you, AJ Biega. Disparaging, so <laughs> disparaging memes. Please no, please no. Do it better. It's good times. But do we have to? Well, that wraps up episode 474 of Priority One. 
a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including a new crew joining Women at Warp. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley and Peter Archibald. And here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. During the COVID pandemic, how are you listening to Priority One? How are you holding out? You're our listener family and we care about you and how you're doing. So let us know. Also, what was your favorite season two short trek? Which was your least favorite? And last but not least, if you could cast David Tennant in any role in Star Trek, which role would it be? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. So follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, it's humbling that our patrons continue to support us and the production of this show. To them, we are all very grateful. To find out how you can contribute and all the cool perks that we offer to our patrons, visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our guests this week, Anthony and Jake. Thank you both for filling in for Tony and Skiffy this week. It was a pleasure having you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I love doing it. Thank you, and I will be here again next week. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer and guest host this week, Jake Morgan and associate producer Shane Hoover and Thomas of the Priority One Armada. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager and guest host, Anthony Cox. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Speaking of Jason Smith, what a talented, talented artist. He he took the time to lower deck us and so a majority of the crew has been decked out as cartoon versions of ourselves uh the first the first batch of animation or cartoon versions we got that jason had done was more kind of the animated series style and uh he he gave us that same style for the lower decks and you can see that on social media so a big shout out to jason smith Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage.
short tracks. Oh, perhaps. Yeah, but we saw that. Yeah. But anything else anything else about Strange New Worlds, Anthony? Um, I mean, no, I'm really excited about it. I think No, 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 no. I that was I was I was prompting you to finish oh, reading. Oh, sorry. The sorry. <laughs> sorry, I thought you crossed everything out. Um uh, All right. Uh, Kurtzman then spoke to Pike and Cruz Optimus. Well, answer my question though. Oh we got to make gosh. it sound like it flowed. What was Jesus. your question? <laughs> I said anything else about Strange New Worlds, Anthony? Well, Elio, Kurtzman then spoke to <laughs> Pike and Cruz Optimism <laughs> and how Pike's trauma could open interesting storytelling doors for the series. Play Kurtzman 5, Elio. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Anthony. What else were they discussing about Strange New Worlds? No. Tom Cruise. Is Terry Cruz not in the show? Or Terry Cruz? Because that's what I thought this I thought, I thought he was referring to. You kill the Joe, you make some mouth. Woo! Terry's going to like the air singing aliens. Woo! Um. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So wait, why wait, are we talking? Are you really you trying to explain to Doctor Who to people? I have a feeling that anybody who listens to their, this show, even if they don't watch Doctor Who, knows who Doctor Who is. Or what Doctor Who is. <laughs> okay. You know, I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> what? Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1 Episode 2. Envoys. On screen. Cat, we need your computer sound. Oh. What is this? Telagno 4, Rutherford, New Career, Mariner Goes Along? I think that was... Oh yeah, I mean, sorry. I just I kind of jotted stuff down as I was. That's watching. the shortest. That's the shortest oh, explanation <laughs> you could I'm give like, for this well, episode. That's it. There's your summary. Okay. <laughs> just Oops. read that and then let's start talking. <laughs> sorry. All right, captains. Let's get to some statistics for Lower Decks episode two envoys. I will get that to you in just a moment. <laughs> I'm someone who didn't do their homework. When me. <laughs> This is Elio, Feedback Sync 1. This is Cat Feedback Sync 2. This is Anthony, Feedback Sync 3. This is Jacob, Feedback Sync 4. What's the full name? Mm -hmm. Feedback in 3, <clears throat> 2. Last week, our community question was, would you rather see a fourth Star Trek Kelvin film? Uh, is that what the question was? From Twitter, oh, hang on, Ken. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Chicago. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't finish reading it. Oh, uh, I think it's what would you rather see? Eight, four, four, six, Last week, our community question was, what would you rather see as a fourth Star Trek? Kelvin, jeez. Oh, oh, it's what would you rather see? A fourth Star Trek Kelvin film, Noah Hawley's film, or the Tarantino film? Oh, they're both not Kelvin They're films. all different things. Okay. Yeah, they're all different oh, things. Oh, they're th it's three things. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. His sci-fi twist on... Uh... If they do make a nut... Oh. End it with the Cerritos coming in... End it with the Cerritos coming into play... Oh, I see it. End it with the Cerritos coming into play key... Cle <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Avengers. Damn it. <laughs> podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network